1: After nearly 2,000 games behind an NHL bench, he just can't kick the habit of standing during games, even in the press box. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking, presented by Betway. If you're gonna place a bet, bet on Betway. Ontario only, 19 plus, please play responsible. In some ways, Barry Trotz has been preparing for his current role for nearly 40 years. His path to the NHL started in Dauphin, Manitoba, which led him to Washington and then Baltimore and another port of call in Portland before becoming the Nashville Predators' first head coach in franchise history. 25 years later, Trotz is back in Nashville, but now as the general manager succeeding David Poyle, the man who gave him his start all that time ago.
2: Not many organizations get a chance to have one general manager passed the torch to the next one and worked together for three or four months as he learns his new role, gets a chance to spend time in Milwaukee and at all levels. So, Barry, welcome home. We're all glad you're here. Trots was one of the
1: faces of the Predators franchise. He spent 15 seasons on lower Broadway with the Preds, coaching almost 1,200 games. Washington came calling the following season, and Trots would go on a historic four-year run finishing first in the Metro in three seasons before leading the Caps to their first Stanley Cup in franchise history.
2: The drought's over 43 seasons and the Capitals have won it here in Las Vegas and celebrate on the ice, bobbing Braden Holtby.
1: Following his Cup win, he teamed up with Lou Lamorello on Long Island, but the Islanders consistently kept coming up short. Losing in back to back conference finals.
0: For the Islanders, they are shut out in a game seven for the first time in franchise history. And for the second straight year, their season comes to an end in the semifinals against Tampa Bay.
1: Trotz was fired toward the end of the 2022 season and took a year away from hockey to regroup.
2: Unfortunately, it is my role to make the best decisions for the organization going forward, and uh, I believe that this group of players uh, needs a new voice.
1: Ranking third all-time in wins behind only Joel Quenville and Scotty Bowman, Trotz has cemented himself in the history book as one of the best coaches of all time. But now he faces a new challenge, not behind the bench, but in the Predators management suite. Here's my conversation with Preds GM Barry Trotz on getting back to the Nashville way, his vision on how to reboot the Preds, and building culture in a market that he knows like the back of his hand. Barry, you are closing in on your first six months as general manager of the Nashville Predators. You f- starting to feel comfortable yet?
2: A little bit. Uh, I think I still got a lot of the, the coach in me at the same time, uh, I think surrounded by uh, the people I have in, in Nashville and being familiar with Nashville and then, you know, still having the ability to talk to David Boyle on a regular basis uh, gives you a, a comfort uh, zone. Uh, but at the same time, I think I'm starting to find my rhythm. I always talk about uh, as a coach, you have a rhythm and a, and a style and, and what works. And
1: Is it a routine?
2: A little It's routine, but you, you know instinctively where what has to get done at a certain time during the year. I think my my GM's rhythm is starting to come, and that just takes time. That's the experience thing. It's no different than a player or a coach. It's the same thing. So uh, I'm starting to find that a little bit. And uh, you know, I was saying that the one one area that I still struggle with is game day because I love the chaos on the bench. I love the the emotion, the uh, the adrenaline rush, the adrenaline crash based on results and all that. That is a little bit. Uh, tempered a little bit if you will when you're 600 feet away or 700 feet away it's it's, you feel like you're the uh sometimes i feel like i'm the injured guy who's who's not playing and just not being able to help sometimes but at the same time uh being a part of it
1: yeah the camera pans to you sometimes in the press box and you're standing a lot of times is that just you're not used to being in gm mode where you're you know calm sitting down you're your adrenaline is still going because that's what you're used to.
2: Yes, absolutely. I, I can't sit uh, during games. It, I, I struggle to sit. Uh, maybe over time I will I will learn that. But, yeah, I'm standing usually because I've done that uh, behind the bench so many times, and uh, it's a way of me, I guess, uh, trying to hold it in a little bit.
1: Do you think you're, as you make your adjustment from coach to GM, does your mindset change at all in terms of how you – instead of just looking day to day, which you always have an eye on, but you're also now really responsible for the big picture, how have you adjusted on that front to sort of park whatever results might be in the minute and think more big picture?
2: That's the biggest thing. As a coach, you want immediate results. Our situation in, in Nashville, obviously uh, we're in a, call a rebuild or retool or reset, whatever, whatever the word you want to use, we are, we're in it. And so I, I think I've I've had enough experience in the past coming in with the expansion way back in, you know, 97, 98, and going through that process, understanding that you have to be patient with young guys. You have to give the young guys a path to the NHL, if you will. You know, thought process, obviously, with us, uh, what we did at the trade deadline, we turned over a lot of good quality players. During the summer, I... I look for a couple things. I look for some serial winners and that are a little bit older that can help our young guys develop the right way uh, and understand the ups and downs of the of the National Hockey League and, and lead them the right way. But also not over signing. Uh, I could have you know you look around the NHL. There, there's a lot of those PTO or veteran guys at, at league minimum that actually probably can help you a little bit more uh, and are more ready to, to be consistently good at the national hockey league level than some of the kids.
1: But they squeeze out the opportunity,
2: but they squeeze out opportunities. So I was very conscious of not over signing. It is hard for a, to push that aside as a coach, you want to win and you want to win now. And it's a day to day thing. And I had to be very, very conscious of holding myself back. You know, this guy will help us right now. We, you know, but it takes away an opportunity or a path for a young guy uh, that I feel that, uh, that you need. I think the NHL now, especially where we are, I think it is good that you have to develop, unless you're, you're Connor Bedard or, or someone of that ilk, I think you have to develop, start your development plan in the American Hockey League. And then there's a point where you have to develop players in a national hockey league
1: but it's not a developmental league how do you do that
2: yeah, well it it is tough i think what you'll see is the top teams might have that one young guy that is a good player but maybe is not a high contributor yet but you surround him in a winning atmosphere or a veteran atmosphere and then he develops under you know the group and also the organization and then he gets to the next step and solidifies his I'll say his role or his his development spot and then he sort of uh, starts to grow you're watching it here in Toronto with uh, oh, I think over the number of years you watch Willie Neelander was a good young player was inconsistent probably in his early career and now you're watching him keep growing year after year the consistency the production the, the things like that. Young players like that continue to you know develop in the league the league also helps develop the, the players.
1: So when you think back on your path to this point, you've had a lot of help along the way with some mentors. I've asked you before about the late Jack Button, uh, David Poyle, obviously you're very yep. close with him. How much is David still around, by the way?
2: He's always around. David's- uh, uh, He can't foot- quit it. Yeah. Well, he's, uh, he's down in Florida. I wouldn't say he's in the day-to-day in the office, mm-hmm. but we, we talk fairly uh, regularly. Uh, when I have a problem, he's a he's great sounding board. David uh, has, still has a house in Nashville as well as uh, down in Florida, and we, we talk on a text together. So he he's always uh, knows what's going on. I think it's uh, important that if he's going to be a, a a guy who's going to mentor anybody or be a sounding board, he's a great person to have that. He's a, a Hall of Fame general manager mm-hmm. who's been in the league a long time. So uh, for me not to listen to his experience would be bad on me.
1: But you've gotten a little taste at various stops along the way. You were a scout before you became a head coach. And then you mentioned that sort of formative year before the Preds' first season of spending time really going through the league to find which players you wanted to pick. How much of those moments and then the experience that you had working so closely with David prepare you for this spot? And I think... I think before you even answer that, my first question, why did you want to become a GM? What made you want to make the switch?
2: The switch came from, you know, obviously when I when I was let go by the Islanders, I had some family things that I had to take care of. Uh, it really took me out of the, I'll say the job market for the summer. And I had uh, lots of interest around the league. And I just, I knew that once I started that process, like, I, it was one of those cycles that I had to finish. And I felt that uh, once that was done, that uh, I would have to decide to get into coaching or do something in else in hockey or retire. And so it was a process that we, we, I thought about. And then I would say once it was in December, uh, a few teams flew in to Nashville to talk to me. And a couple teams, I think, talked to David because they knew there was a long relationship you know, asking about me, so David uh, reached out to the Islanders to to talk to me uh, about this potential situation, and they, he put it on my plate, he said, just so you know, I am thinking about this, there's no guarantees, I know that teams are, are starting to call you, but I just didn't want you to miss this opportunity if you wanted it, and uh, I took some time and I thought about it, and I just thought it was it was a new challenge. I'm always up for a new challenge. I think the demands on a coach are tremendous. Uh, demands on the, the workload for a coach during the year are tremendous. I also felt that this was a uh, a new challenge, you know, for me. And I thought going back home, new challenge, and what a what a, a great way for me to you know stay in the game. But also hopefully have some go full circle. I started with Nashville uh, the whole year in 1997. I was really a pro scout, if you will, doing that. But also looking at what other teams were doing, how they were scouting, technology wise, what they were doing in in terms of game preparation for their you know fan and in, in involvement. It was sort of a go out and seek uh, what would make a good franchise, and and we implemented a lot of those things that in Nashville in those first years I had every had the opportunity with David because we were brand new organization I came in we had you know really no offices we had no staff we had nothing so I was part of that process and David uh, kept me involved in that process and I, we sort of laugh as uh, we were you know looking at carpet colors of all things because you didn't have the staff back then to make these decisions and designing locker rooms and hiring scouts and Setting up the scouting process, all those things, those things were, you know, sort of. You had to do it as a as you started to grow. Our staff was started out being you know, three or four people, and then it you are bootstrapping going it, yeah, yeah. So I got to learn that, and it probably that experience allowed me to be a little more patient, seeing the big picture, because the team sometimes, as a coach, you think about the twenty guys you have. Uh, winning hockey games and, and trying to win and there's not much outside that circle of, of, of or train of thought that you really look at by having the experience of being part of a startup expansion team and I'd say a real true expansion team where we weren't right. going to be very good met most of our players in the press box because they weren't uh, it wasn't done like it is now, which I think is the absolute right way to do it uh, for the game
1: just for everyone listening like that's you met them in the press box because they were scratches they were the yeah. extras
2: yeah we weren't getting the the second line 5 million dollar guy that was going to be available we were getting the 13th forward the 7th or 8th defenseman uh league minimum type guys uh those were the guys that were going to be available because the uh the original expansion i i think you I can't remember the number, but the number was quite high compared to now. It was very almost different. double. Yep. You know, you had to go find uh, uh, some people. And one of the great things that happened out of that whole experience, I got to travel the world, but in some ways we were able to change the game. You know, David uh, gave me the, uh, he says, you're going to go to Europe, send me over there. We can take chances on people. We're probably not going to be very good. So if a player is undersized or if a, if a player – it lacks a certain elite separating skill, you might be able to take a chance on them. Example: some of the best deals we made were were the the throw-in guys,
1: the chemo teaminans
2: chemo teaminans of the world who right, were
1: tenth round pick that no one's really even paying attention to.
2: Exactly, and uh, those were the guys that were the the real keys. The, he becomes the,
1: a captain. He becomes a thousand game NHL player, and. You're off and running.
2: Yeah, Thomas Vokoun was like the fifth or sixth goaltender in an organization and in Montreal, and he had a tremendous career. So, those are the great stories that came out of that. Is that we knew we could change the game a little bit by taking chances on the on the underdogs, and and we were we were an underdog team every every uh, time we stepped on uh, on the ice. I don't think we we got a lot of respect. I think we led the league in team. Uh, Closed door meetings after games. Uh, I think we won twenty seven games the the first year. Uh, I don't think. But
1: you guys held your own, though.
2: Yeah, we held our own. We had uh, we had good structure. We didn't get blown out too many times. Didn't Um, score a lot either. We didn't say yeah. Surprise. Uh, We didn't score a lot, but we played hard. We were a we were in your face sort of uh, sandpaper type team, and and that identity is sort of carried over for uh, you know decades.
0: In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today.
1: So you mentioned coming home, and one of the big things that you talked about this summer was getting back to the Predator way. And... This isn't a knock on David at all, but you guys were you know, in such a competitive spot the last few years getting to the Stanley Cup final that a number of moves were made to try and push this team towards winning the Stanley Cup. Now you're kind of trying to unpack that a little bit, and as you mentioned, retool. Culture was such a big buzzword this summer. You bring in, you mentioned serial winner, Ryan O'Reilly, Luke Shen. Those guys all, they ooze character. They ooze yep. that sort of leadership why was it so important for you to make those moves to sort of get back to that as your baseline?
2: We have a, a, a number of young players coming in. We've had uh, David's done a really good job of collecting assets at the same time of being competitive. And I think we have five first-round picks that are playing in Milwaukee this year.
1: You have five first-round picks in the last three years, yep.
2: And they're all playing in Milwaukee. And I really felt that... Uh, I thought we've got some of our players got a little comfortable, and one of the things in Nashville is that uh, I, I said and I believe is I don't want you to come here to retire, I want you to come here to win. I felt that there was some comfort there, in in Nashville that I, I felt that if we're going to um, go forward with our young guys, let's not waste any time. And so I, I did what I did did in the summer. Not easy moves. No, not easy moves. I mean, you need the commitment of the organization, your ownership, to do the moves that I was able to to do. And we're sitting in a, you know, we're one of the the few teams uh, in a in the in the league, and we've we've retained a lot of money through buyouts and what have you. But we're still one of the few teams that are under as, the salary cap. Yeah,
1: you've eight million dollars in space this morning.
2: Yeah, and uh, so that you know, means
1: you can be flexible now as you get closer to the deadline to leverage that, maybe even in taking some contracts back that other teams are trying to move.
2: Exactly, and and so that you know the the uh, salary cap becomes a little bit of a, a weapon for us for for collecting assets, and we've got a number of free agents too that are, I think are are. are players that can be very, very useful at a pretty decent price too, for the teams that are, you know, going for it. You know, they So don't is have that
1: love. like a Tommy Novak type of guy? Is that what you're there, there's referencing? Players,
2: obviously Tommy, we're, you know, he's in a, in a last year, we got, you know, Kiefer Sherwood, we've got people like that, uh, that have know, been Colson. productive
1: on low, low, low salaries, low
2: value contracts. So there's some that we're going to resign and there's some that, uh, will be available. And, uh, I think we're we're being patient that way. Hopefully we can collect some more assets, but I think our turnaround will be fairly quick. Uh, I don't think our reset or, or or rebuild, whatever you want to call it, is going to take ten years. it's It's not going to. it's I think we're going to be in a position where through our the money that we have, uh, the players that are coming, and the number of draft choices that we have for assets, we can acquire assets or you know, draft assets, uh, I think we can turn this around uh, fairly quickly. That's my goal. And I think, uh, you know, with the cap space that we have, Nashville itself, commitment we have from our ownership, uh, Nashville is a destination place. There's no question about it. I, I'm i very confident on that. So we'll we'll be very active in, in free agency. We'll be very active in trying to acquire players at the right time. And, uh, you know, with our, our tax system, our – our city, our ownership, I think we can do this real quickly. There's a lot of
1: easy selling points there. Yeah, there is. UC Soros has been the bedrock of your team for a while now, the backbone. There's been lots of talk in the last, you know, number of weeks, especially to start the season. Some teams that have struggled in net. A lot of people are wondering, is UC Soros a guy that is gonna be in Nashville for the long term, the long haul? Or is this a guy that as you've you know, you're shuffling things around trying to figure out where you're heading? Is he someone that could potentially be available?
2: No, at this po- moment, I, I met with his uh, his representatives, uh, and uh, there's a lot of rumors of, of U uh, C being out there. Obviously, the teams that are looking at at him are, are good hockey teams. They're teams that are cup contenders, if you will. You know, some of the people that have gone out and, and they offer that. You know, those are good at 25, 26. To thirty type picks, those are almost second round picks, mm-hmm. and you know the, the first round picks uh, just for the you know the regular fans. Once you're past the probably the ten or fifteen, the picks are pretty random. They could all be second round picks at that point, right? So the value has to be very high. But uh, we're our plan is to have Soros be the, our net minder when we're we're back in the fold, being at a high level and. Uh, uh, when you have an elite goaltender, you don't want that elite goaltender to, uh, to go somewhere else. So I, I think uh, right now we're looking to resign him.
1: And my last question then, as you mentioned, it's not going to be too long, but when will, in, your, in a perfect, you know, for you, perfect mindset, when will you guys be where you want to get to?
2: In this league, that's a very difficult question because you can ask a lot of franchises you know, when you're going to be there. I think when you're going to be there is when you feel like you can, can start being in the mix of regular in the playoffs, but not only making the playoffs. but You want to be st- a threat, right? You want to be a threat. And uh, I think we're probably, Yeah, I, I will say this, this is, this is going to be the year that uh, I said will be the toughest year for us as a franchise uh, because I think at that point we'll start building and going in, in the you know sort of north again to get there. It'll all depend on on how we're able to put the assets together I, and uh, get some of our dead money back, which is a couple years. I would say hopefully next year we're, we start building uh, and start going through that. When we get to that point, I can't give you a definite uh, answer. I'd love to, uh, but you know, in this business, it just doesn't happen. Uh, you know, well, I'd like to, I'd like to win a cup next year, but that's probably not realistic. So we're going to build towards that. We're going to build towards trying to, trying to win a, win a cup under my tenure.
1: And the nice part, as you mentioned, um, this year might be the toughest year for the franchise, but with you in place and everyone in Nashville, of course, Preds fans know you, they trust you, uh, that they're on, they're on board for this. So that's got to make you feel good too.
2: It, it does. I mean, uh, you've got it, that support. I, I do. Uh, I think, you know, we're the one thing that, uh, has happened in Nashville is that, uh, There's two certainties, Uh, you know, there was death and taxes and the Preds being in the playoffs. That'll be a change for our fan base. But listening to the fan base, everybody understands that, uh, you know, it's probably time, that window of uh, 2017. Can't stay in it forever. Yeah, the 2017 window where, you know, they did everything. I I was, uh, we lost out to Pittsburgh that year. I was with Washington. And I really felt that uh, if Nashville would have been healthy, that was their window to win Stanley Cup. This is like St. Louis did. Mm-hmm. They were in that window uh, when they won a Stanley Cup. And uh, you look at the record over the, the course of the last, you know, last ten years. Nashville's record is in the top five in the league in terms of wins and that, or I should say, probably the last ten years, it's been right up there. The, the only thing that hasn't happened there is winning the cup. And that takes a little bit of luck if, 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 if I was had the, the success to, to do that in Washington. Not only do you need good teams, but you need some luck along the way. And uh, unfortunately, they were banged up. I think Johansson had the, the major surgery with the uh, uh, thigh contusion. And uh, I think Mike Fisher might have been out at that time. And Colton System went from being the fourth-line center to the number one center mm-hmm. in the Stanley Cup Finals that year, so that was the, that was their their time. Unfortunately, didn't uh, they didn't get it done, and Pittsburgh won another cup.
1: Well, Barry, uh, congratulations on your transition to uh, becoming general manager, and uh, we'll know that you've settled in when you finally sit down during games now in the press box. <laughs> yeah, Thanks thank a lot you. for joining us. Anytime. Thanks to Barry for joining me on Frankly Speaking and to Kevin Wilson from the Preds PR staff for helping coordinate the chat. Really interesting to see Barry Trotz settling into a new role. You can tell that even after all of this time in the NHL, there's still parts of the GM role that he's learning and hasn't really quite figured out yet. You can tell that he isn't 100% comfortable even for someone who's had... So much skin in the game for so long. Can't imagine it's going to take him long, and you can tell that he really feels strongly about certain things and the way to build a team, as evidenced by how last summer played out for Nashville. That'll do it for this week's episode. We'll leave you with, you are only made of dreams. Here's Bridget Calls Me Baby on Franklin's started dreaming
0: again Dreaming of you
2: Bars. The streets were ours, like these to do. It was almost the same.
0: No bullet in your brain. We looked for nobody else, and
2: no one was there. We danced again to the sea of love. Then you.